So this is a conversation I had with award-winning independent journalist Febriana Ferdals. It covers areas that are incredibly dangerous to cover currently in Indonesia and West Papua, where Febriana has been working to report stories that is underreported or too dangerous for other media to cover. Our conversation will talk about West Papua, the violence going on there, as well as the protests in Jakarta, and more so connecting these to historical causes and reasons within Indonesia that might not be apparent to someone not deeply familiar with the country. For more on Febriana, you can follow her on Twitter, and we'll link to some of her journalism in the show description. For more on our project, where we're trying to bring you the best independent voices, artists, and academics from Asia and around the world, you can check us out at asiaarttours.com. You can get in touch with me. I'm at matt at asiaarttours.com on email and asiaarttours on Twitter. Or check out our YouTube and our podcast where we have hundreds of interviews with unique and amazing individuals like Febriana. All right, let's get to our chat and discover a bit more about the hardships and the situation currently going on in West Papua and what has been occurring with protests in Indonesia. Febriana, can you take us through um, what's been going on in West Papua up to this point, and then we'll connect over to New Zealand. But let's do West Papua first. What's been going on since you've been there? Why has it been so hard for journalists? And who are these protesters, and, and what is Indonesia doing to them? It is actually started uh, in after Indonesia celebrated Independence Day on August 17th. And then everyone, um, it's not a mandatory, but everyone can just raise a um, red and white flag in front of their house. And then some of the military officer and um, it's a group of, religious vigilante group I can call them religious vigilante group and also another vigilante group they check the Papuan dormitory in Surabaya whether they are whether they were raising um, red and white flag or not to prove their nation their, their nationality how, how do you call it? their nationalism so um, they found out there is no red and flag red and white flag, Indonesian flag, in front of the dormitory. So they push them to raise the flag. I know this, some of these West Papuan, especially the young West Papuan, they don't feel like they're Indonesian because they still have a problem with the background of history between Indonesia and West Papua. We're going to talk about that later. And then um, the military officer uh, we're trying to provoke them by calling them monkey. So, uh, like this monkey, wh- why why you don't raise the red and white flag? Your monkey, your dog, your pig, or 
for example, like that. So um, the student insists that it's not mandatory to raise the flag. It is true, it's not for mandatory for us. I never raised any flag in my house, for example, but no one came to me and then um, tried to push me to raise that flag. So this is like, I think the military officer is trying to provoke them and then the, the and then the police came, the police came with fully armed um, and then they they fired the tear guards and then they they run up the dormitory and then they arrest the student. Even eventually it even um but in the end like eventually they released the student. But West Pop one, um they were so angry with that incident. I think this is an accumulation after fifty years. Um this actually happened every year. That's why when it's happened, I didn't write anything yet because I think, oh, it's happened every year. The uh, military officer and vigilante group always check in the Papuan dormitory, for example, in Surabaya and other city, just to make sure that they raise the red and white flag. But then, when they arrest the student and then it trigger a protest across the West Papua, I decide to write something because for the first time I have a feeling that this will be deep. And it, it it turned to be like a very large demonstration across the West Papua. And I think that is the accumulation. Finally, like West Papua took the street and then they express their disappointment and also they bring the issue to to uh to fight for the self of right determination finally okay so for um your perspective as a journalist who's from indonesia studied these issues extensively what does it say to you where the us will get involved in indonesian policy supporting certain leaders having business interests uh, in a place like West Papua or Indonesia itself. But then when it comes to the consequences of supporting those leaders or the consequences of doing business that needs um, violence to support it. Um, so West Papuans will also often talk about, uh, Jokowi will say, oh, I'm developing West Papua. And they'll say, yes, but the, the highway you're building, that's just for the mining trucks or the logging trucks. We don't use that. Um, could you talk a bit about from the Indonesian or West Papuan perspective or your own perspective, what is some of the hypocrisy of Western countries where they're happy to support leaders who can provide a strategic or wealth in relation to their own Western country, but then when the, the people have to suffer the consequences, uh, they stay silent or their media stays silent? We have to understand the history background before the act of free choice first. So the act is of free choice was held in 1969. Two years before the act of free choice, uh, the biggest and the largest gold mining uh, called Freeport based in Phoenix, uh, USA, um, they signed a document um, like business agreement 
with Indonesia under the Suharto rule at that time. So Suharto is the one who signed the document with with the Freeport, and then the so they already like start to operate at that time that U.S. company, and then the act is uh, of a free choice happened, and the U.S. um helped to set the New York Agreement before before the act of free choice. So the, the U.S. actually enter into West Papua issue in two in 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 two issue. First is politics. Second is business. First in politics, they help to set the New York Agreement that lead to the act of free choice that controversial referendum the second is um the issue with economy they um start their business or um they help like freeport the the biggest gold mining company to set business in west papua um by the help of suharto of course and then um after after the act of free choice of course this u.s company they um start to explore and enjoy the advantage or benefits from the West Papua's natural resources. But when it's come to, but uh, you know that after that, um, for like fifty years, um, Indonesia occupied West Papua. U.S. media even never talk about this. Only, only like a couple story about that in New York Times and Time, for example, but not like running this story about human rights violation in West Papua, like the Australian media, for example. And also in UN, there is no support from the US to talk about this, and uh, um, and even like to talk to 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 our president to discuss about this. So yeah, I think like uh, um, this issue, like even for the Western countries, I feel like this West Papua issue, no one want to talk about. Even the U.S. media, for example, um, only New York Times and only Time, but it's only like a couple story. And now for the uh, the 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 horrible thing about Western media is in Asia, usually they'll only pop up when something horrible happens. So they'll spend 50 years ignoring something like West Papua or 50 years ignoring. Oh, please. I feel that they have been, the U.S. media, they have been ignoring the story about West Papua for so long. Even I know personally the journalists and they want me to help them. But of course, I'm still working with Al Jazeera. But I don't see before before my era or before a, uh, this my friend journalist era, I don't see any effort from the U.S. media to to publish such a story about the human rights violation in 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 West Papua, which the U.S. company, the biggest mining company in 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 the world, and its U.S. based company has like a very uh, big business here and they they already like got like i don't know perhaps 100 billion us dollar from 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 west papua natural resources 
what company is that? It's a Freeport, Freeport McMoran. So can we talk about some of the reporters who have been in West Papua? I've been reading people are facing treason charges, Veronica Corman, um, who's not a journalist per se, she's more of a lawyer, but has been doing journalism in uh, West Papua. Uh, you um, have, I think, been reporting in West Papua. What are some of the obstacles that journalists are facing there, and what has been the difficulty in reporting in West Papua? Okay, um, the obstacle for every journalist is different. For example, for Papuan journalists, they don't have access to the police or military or authority, for example, because the Papuan, because the police and military consider the West Papuan as pro-independent activists, as part of pro-independent movement. And for Indonesian journalists like me, um, personally, I have a privilege to go and report um, story from West Papua. But the problem is not not all Indonesian journalists want to take a risk um, or want to find a source, alternative source from the grassroots because they are too close to the military and to the police. And the obstacle for the foreign journalists, of course, they cannot visit uh, West Papua because the access is very, lim- very limited for them. And they have to apply for the special permit to go to West Papua. If they are lucky, then they got it. But even West Papuan, even foreign journalists, you have to be careful if you write about West Papua. So ex- actually, the solution is uh, Indonesian journalists who has this privilege and go to West Papua and report for both um, Indonesian media and international media. But not everyone wants to do this difficult job, and also not everyone understands the historical background between West Papua and Indonesia. And most of the journalists in Indonesia, they are very close with the police and the military. So they also, they always quote the police and military first, or sometimes only use it as a single quote without even like clarify on or trying to find a confirmation from the grassroots. Is that, are they close because they feel threatened? Are they close because it's just easier? Where does that closeness come from in Indonesian journalism? I suggest because, um, I suggest because, um, First, the police and the military approach them, of course, because they need it. The second, because most of them are non-Papuan, and non-Papuan have a problem with how they see Papuan. For example, like most of the West, most of Indonesian in in across this country, across most of the non-Papuan across Indonesia, the way that they look at the way that they see West Papuan is like a half human. For example, they are like um, not smart. For example, and they are poor. So um, I think there is a gap between non Papuan and Papuan, and it's a fact 
the work of the journalists who happens to be non-Papuan, they can be so biased um, when they write something about Papuan. They always have like um, assumption that always Papuan, they, they, they want, a, they, they are dangerous and they just want um, to fight for the independence. So the um, Jakarta protests, they've recently released seven demands that they've translated. And if I get the languages wrong, uh, I believe it's Bahasa. They've translated it uh, from Bahasa into English. And that's you uh, have shared that. Um, Other people are starting to share that. And it's a clear articulation. Activists like Adia, who's uh, a Balinese dancer, she does... She leads a large feminist group, you know, has been saying very loudly, like, this isn't, uh, you know, about sex, or this is sort of a very complicated series of demands and um, feelings that a lot of protesters have. Um, Stop trying to frame it. And I think she's talking mostly about Australian media uh, outlets like the Australian that are very um, uh, crude and very sort of... Uh, almost like tabloids, really trying to sensationalize things in a very a way that's around sex or a way around an issue that sells rather than deal with all the complexities. But before we turn to what's going on in Jakarta, uh, where there's been breaking news today, unfortunately, involving people you know and and care about, um, what are the demands of the West Papuans? And so we're not talking over them in the West when we speak about West Papua or talk to journalists like you, what's the best way to think of their demands? Is there a clear list of demands? Or from the Papuans you've talked to, what what do they want? They just want Indonesia to solve the root of the problem. It's racism first. I think this is like um, the homework, not only for the government, but also for Indonesians to start learning about who is West Papuan. They are Melanesian. They are different from us. And they, we have to learn about their culture. We have to learn about their history, how they, uh, the first time that Indonesia next was Papua. That's actually what the West Papuan wants. After the Indonesians um, or the Indonesian government solved the root of racism, they want to build dialogue about the future of West Papua because the West Papuan, they don't feel that uh, West Papua voluntarily join Indonesia. Um, they think that that referendum didn't represent their people because only 1,026 um, West Papuan represents 800,000 uh, West Papuan across the region. So also the alleged human rights violations during the referendum um, by the help of the U.S. military, if I'm not mistaken. And it's happened um, even after the referendum until 1970, the late of 1970. I still remember um, I wrote about this before. And then the third is um, the West Papuan won Indonesian government to withdraw the troops. Um, right now, um, Indonesia 
Indonesian government deploy about 6,000 troops in West Papua. I think it's more. And personally, they are also like so tired because so many um, military figure who happens to be Suharto loyalist or, you know, the Indonesian most famous and corrupt dictator Suharto. So the, 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 the high profile military officer who work under the Suharto now, they are working also for the Jokowi. So the West Papuan um, feel that they are not facing the same regime with uh, Suharto regime. There is no difference because the, the, the high profile military officer who handle the issue of West Papua, for example, Viranto is the same person. So this is like make them like worry that um, they're still facing the same regime. The same person under Suharto? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the same typically regime who wants, who will arrest and kill the West Papuan. Because it's, it's still the same military officer. Even we know that, we know Jokowi, uh, like everyone loves Jokowi. Even West Papuan loves Jokowi. Jokowi wants about almost 80% vote uh, in presidential elections. So there is no doubt for Jokowi. But they are not comfortable with the security minister, with the defense minister who happens to be Suharto loyalist in the past. When we say violence, can you, even if it's gruesome and cruel, people need to hear what's going on, can you talk about the the violence that you've witnessed or that Papuans have talked to you about uh, or that you've confirmed through other people on the ground um, that's happening? What does that violence look like? That can be racism, that can be sexual violence, that can be physical violence and death. What does that look like? And then the second part would be why is the government, um, rather than dialogue, pursuing violence as its response? So violence toward West Papuan uh, during the protests uh, since um, August 19th. Uh, for example, um, the police, the joint, joint operations of the police and the military, um, they fired the tear gas, they um, shot the protester from a very short distance, for example, and then um, they also arrest them. Um, but most of the cases, the protesters uh, were being shot from the short distance. That's what they talked to me. And even like the police and the military, like they didn't care if it is a student or it is like for example, uh, just regular protester, not a student, but they don't even care. Even the children, they don't even care. For example, in Gayai, the high clan of Gayai, um, the witness said that even they shot the children. So that is, but this is actually not new. Like, um, the security force shot the West Papuan in every single protest. 
it is not new. It's it's happened like since fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. And for women in West Papua, um, what has been the violence they've had to experience under um, the colonization of Indonesia since fifty years? What has been the violence that's uh, been directed against women? For women. I heard, but actually not heard. There is some of the um, record or um, from the um, human human rights activists record some case of that the woman being raped by the security force, for example, in the high line. There are so many, so many cases of that, but no one of the case can be brought to the court or justice, for example. Um, for this latest um, protest, I didn't hear any, I didn't read any report on that, but in the past, during the new order, there, are, there were so many cases, like similar cases about women in the high line being raped by military force. If you remember um, Benny Wenda, the, the chairman of ULM, WLMVP, his auntie was raped by military officer. Mm-hmm. And his spokesperson said his father was murdered, and that was one of the reasons uh, Rocky Op, who works uh, for Benny Wenda's organization, uh, had to leave West Papua. Um, so two, two things. One, again, to emphasize, the Papuans are not saying come save us, white people. They're not saying we want like a, a military intervention. Something that happens a lot with these protests is, you know, someone like a Samantha Power will say, oh, we need to do this to free women. And that is not what they're saying. They're not saying anything other than they want dialogue. Is that correct? With Indonesia. Yeah. Um, they actually want to start dialogue, uh, the West Pop one. They want to build dialogue, but they want to build dialogue, but um, the, the, the dialogue is about the future of uh, West Papua. And it means that Indonesia and West Papua need to talk about the potential referendum or the, the controversial first, perhaps the controversial referendum in 1969, and then talk about the possibility about the, the referendum in the future. Because for West Papuan, it's clear that um, the history, um, it's the history, something like happened in, in the past, and they need to fix the history, and Indonesia need to admit that they killed West Papuan during the referendum and then even after the referendum. And then they want to talk about that first, what happened in the past, and then they want to talk about the future of West Papua. And this might be, if this is your opinion, you can tell me, or if this is something you've heard often, you can tell me. Something I sometimes don't understand is Indonesia and West Papuans have been betrayed many times by the West or the West has knowingly um, allowed for mass killings because it's pursuing its own interests. 
um, interests of Western foreign policy or interests of capital businesses. So I've seen some West Papuans say things like they want the UN to come or that they're really trying to get European powers involved. But Europe is, is part of the reason Indonesia is the way it is of colonialism and violence and, and betrayal. So it's really confusing to understand why sometimes you, this isn't everyone. These are just some of the activists I've, I've, I've seen in West Papua are turning to Europe again or trying to turn to the West again. What do you make of this? Is it just, look, it's, we don't have any good choices. All the choices are bad, and this is just a less bad choice. What, what, what can you tell me about that, this confusion I have, and, and how you feel or how West Papuans feel about this very confusing situation? This is very confusing. But when I talk to grassroots, they just want Indonesia to stop killing West Papuan and let the West Papuan have their own freedom of expression. They don't even think about the foreign countries or UN to influence the region because they're, they're just like ordinary people. They don't know something about international community. But the more educated West Papuan know that by connecting to the international community, this is perhaps the way to uh, countable the uh, silent killings that um, have been happening in Indonesia for uh, in West Papua by Indonesian military for like 50 years. I can understand that in uh, every single West Papuan, especially West Papuan who is in a grassroots, um, they just want something like very simple. They don't even think about, okay, we want the, if we don't get the independent, it is okay, but please stop killing. But the other West Papuan who have more access to international community uh, were trying, have been trying to lobby and uh, the Western countries, even they know that there is no hope, for example. I think, in my opinion, why they didn't, why they never reach out the U.S. For example, because they know that the U.S. has like business interests in West Papua, um, with Freeport McMorans, um, keep exploiting the um, West Papua natural resources here. That's why they oppose the other Western country. For example. Um, UK, for example, or another another country in, in Europe, but also they still have a hope with UN. Even they know that UN in the past backed the controversial referendum, uh, but they still have a hope for that. But most like majority of Papuan, they just like a very simple. They just don't want. Indonesian military or the police kill their family, that's it. And they don't even think about okay referendum or whatever, even they want it. Like the I talked to a housewife and she said that um, in my heart I want West Papua separate from Indonesia. I want that independence. But the most important right now is I just want 
the Indonesians to stop killing West Papuan. That's it. So she is a housewife, but she knows exactly what she wants. Yeah, that uh, that response makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm very skeptical of elites. <laughs> Generally, I don't. Um, I think that a housewife's opinion is as valuable as someone from the UN. Um, and then for, um, I guess for the last question on West Papua, and then we'll we'll talk about Jakarta. Um, when we look at someone like Jakawi, who you said it was popular in uh, West Papua, where he got you know, a lot of votes and people maybe had high hopes, why has he, in, it seems in both regions of Indonesia, West Papua and, and uh, Jakarta and Java, why has he resorted to just this very heavy-handed response? What, what do you think is behind this? Is it him making the decisions? What is your um, insight or what is your opinion on, on why the response seems so extreme? Because Jokowi is surrounded by um, 10 generals. If you realize, if you, if you count all the generals that around him, it's 10 generals from the police and military. And I have to admit that um, all these generals eh, are leading to any policy or leading to influence Jokowi to take any decisions uh, to handle West Papua. And I'm afraid actually that Jokowi don't know how to handle these generals. For example, Wiranto and Muldoko. Wiranto is the security minister and Muldoko is the defense minister. I'm not sure. I'm afraid and I'm not sure that Jokowi can handle both of them and they are very vocal to talk about West Papua and um, yeah I think Jokowi is just too close to the military right now and also the police and even if Jokowi is very close to these two institutions in the past Papua still West Papua still trusts him but now Something has changed. Papuan feel betrayed by Jokowi. So let's transition to what's happened in Jakarta, and let's start with the breaking news. What's the very frustrating and dangerous breaking news, um, unfortunately, that we have to report about two arrests? And then we're going to talk about those uh, individuals as part of the longer, the larger struggle going on. Uh, in Indonesia. So we're shifting away from West Papua, we're moving to Jakarta. Um, and if there's other re regions of Indonesia we should focus on, just uh, tell me. Um, but, but what happened today um, and in Jakarta um, that uh, has been a very disturbing development? Yeah, um, so yesterday Jokowi said that he is he's he still stand for to support democracy but then at the middle of the night the police arrest my college 
uh, Dandy Laksono. He is a filmmaker. A filmmaker. He is also a very senior journalist. Um, I can say that he is a health activist. Um, because he keep like, he 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 keep like give a voice to the voiceless. For example, West Pop West Pop One to West Pop One, and then he is charged for reading hoax after tweeting about uh, West Pop One being shot by the police and military. And then five hours after that, another friends of mine, who also a former journalist for Temple Magazine and then Vice Indonesia, um, who happens also to be a musician. He is he was also arrested by the police just because he collect money for the student protest movement. And also, he tweeted something to support the movement. The police say that my friend provoked um, the student to protest. But he actually just tweeted like couple tweets to support the, the, the protest. So this is like a very dangerous situation for activists or even for journalists because... I knew them as a journalist before, and I'm afraid that now everyone um, is afraid to post something about West Papua. For example, yeah, Veronica is um, already a suspect right now. I'm the only person who has the access, and if I want to post something, now I'm worried that I will be charged with spreading hoax for example like my other friends so i i got like um i i i i got a con i conclude that all these people who were arrested and named as a suspect by the police they were helping the west pop one to tell the indonesian or and the world what happens in west papua right now including Ananda Badudu because um, my friends who, who, who just arrest and collect the money um, because he also support the protest who also advocates the West Papua so he personally also like post something about West Papua for example or even like retweet it. Is, it, is the uh, Indonesian judicial system something where uh, we would think of it as fair and impartial, or for these individuals, if they're charged, can the government essentially tell the judge or the the jury, or can they can they just put them in prison without going even through the judicial system? Is it something where there are protections for them still, or are they really at the mercy of the government? Yeah, the presidents. Um, or they can appeal to the president and the president can give like um, mercy to them but um, of course I think we need to avoid anyone to be a suspect first but I think they but I'm not sure that Jokowi will give a mercy to them 
because these people like we can call like enemy of the state very critical to police and military if you are very critical to jokowi perhaps jokowi will give mercy but if you are very vocal and critical to military and police institution i'm not sure the president will give a mercy yeah that's a very good point that these people shouldn't even be charged um it's very uh much a slippery slope where then anyone can be charged if they are critical and if indonesia is a democracy then they should be protected um, under the ability of democratic citizens to criticize their government this, this should not be happens like they were arrest and the name and suspect if we really If if Jokowi really support the democracy, this should not be happening. Um, can we use these individuals to explain the larger student protests? What has been the reason that students have been coming out um, recently in the past uh, week or two weeks in in Jakarta? What has been the um, decisions by Jokowi's government or figures in Jokowi's government that? Um, have made so many people angry and that these unjust arrests are an example of. Yeah, actually, President Jokowi, he wants to meet this student protest leader in the palace. But because of these two activists, um also like a former journalist and senior journalist were arrested and named as a suspect by the police they canceled the meeting so the student leader protest leader canceled the meeting as the they expressed their disappointment to uh, uh, Jokowi administration um, meanwhile Jokowi instead of build a dialogue with the student um he ordered so jokowi he ordered uh, the minister to talk with the rector in the university uh to punish any lecturer who supports the student to take the street so i think Jokowi administration's decision to handle this issue is very problematic. First, Jokowi said that he supports democracy and he wants to meet with the student protest leader. But in the other side, that they arrest the two prominent activists right now who help the student protest movement, who help to advocate their issue who help to collect the funding and also in the other side they want to punish the lecturer who support and who give permit to the student to take the street so this is like very confusing situation right now and very problematic response from the Jokowi administration and what are the when we talk about um the actual changes so this goes back to activists like dia who's been very angry uh rightfully so about how western media has has um 
um, mischaracterized or um, deliberately uh, exaggerated certain legal changes, so changes about uh, sex before marriage or same sex, um, individuals who are of the same sex, gay or, gay or lesbian, uh, having sex. What are the actual changes that um, the Jokowi's government or individuals in Indonesia's government want to, uh, want to um, implement? And why are these changes so um, scary or uh, so... Um, why are these changes bringing people out into the streets? Actually, it doesn't exist. There is no sex law or something. The, the, the truth is there is a proposed crimin, criminal code that, right, that contains very problematic um, article that will attack our private life. So I can understand why Dea, which is also my friend, who is a Japanese dancer, is very angry with that because, um, um, for example, here's um, I, I will mention some of the changes that the, uh, the parliament wants to pass. Um, on the um, we can start from the um, this bill on the eradication of sexual violence. That bill has been sitting in the House of Parliament with no certainty for the past three years, despite of the raising number of sexual harassment case. And but the but the 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 uh, the but the um, parliament didn't pass this bill, even this bill is very urgent. Instead, they promote an article in the criminal code who will criminalize a woman who wants to get abortions, for example, or an um, Indonesian who, um, who is uh, committed to same-sex relations, same-sex relations, for example are a homeless in a criminal court the homeless will be punished uh, with uh, one, will be charged with one million rupees for example can you imagine homeless they don't have money and then there are so many problematic uh, article in the um, proposed criminal court and in the other bill for example the mineral mining bill um the head of campaign of the mining advocacy network told me that almost 90 percent of the mining bill contained very dangerous and problematic articles that potentially criminalize anyone who against or oppose the mining company um it it it, it does uh, exist before in the previous bill but then the parliament includes or adds another article to certify the previous law instead of uh, withdraw the articles. And then, of course, um, the, the very like big issue that uh, uh, advocated by the student progress movement is um, 
that the parliament passing the anti-corruption uh, bill that actually um uh actually will change the anti-corruption body the function of anti-corruption body that they are no longer have independent investigator and um also like excessive the power of overseeing committee and then commissioner will actually function only like a manager and the president will have like a power to appoint um the anti-grad anti body supervisor means that the supervisor will work uh, for the favor of the president okay if the president is jokowi perhaps we can trust him how about in the future the president is uh, for example Prabowo or anyone who is very corrupt and have like a human rights violation case i mean like he is like a for example who knows that Pranto can be a president in the future we will never know so that that's some of the change that the parliament wants to and so what are the protesters who are coming out like who are they where are they protesting how are they protesting and what are they demanding okay um most of the protesters are students but for example in Yogyakarta um this alliance of they call themselves alliance of people movement they're not only a student but also worker uh, academicians or anyone who feel like um attacked by the who feel like their private life for example attacked by the criminal courts or even the farmer even like um anyone who is like part of lgbt community so it's actually a very diverse but most of the protesters are students mm-hmm. and um where and how are they usually protesting so when we picture these protests what do they look like what are the interactions with police like and when a journalist comes and talks to them what have you heard um they took so um they they just gather in front of the house parliament in each region in indonesia so they usually will took the street took the street took the main street um in their city in each city and then they they're going to heading to the house of, of parliament in their region for example in surabaya yesterday uh that like thousand of students uh took the street and then they just walk out drive in fr- to in front of the house parliament in surabaya and they read their five or seven demons in front of the building parliament building so that's what they are doing but apparently not everyone can uh peacefully um join the rally because the police and the military uh prevent them to for example uh, protest in front of the parliament building like what happened in jakarta and 
how did the seven demands come together and what are the seven demands? It is actually from the uh, Alliance of People movement. Um, even not everyone agree with that seven demands. So this is like important for the international audience that Indonesia is very diverse. We are agree and solid in one point that we reject the anti-corruption law that just passed by the parliament and approved by the government because we think that it will weaken the anti-corruption body and um, that the anti-corruption body will no longer independent will be no longer independent after the law passed by the parliament and approved by the government but in the other issue or demands for example um that um bill on the eradication of sexual violence the student who affiliate with the conservative group, they disagree to support that issue or that demands. Or that on the issue of West Papua, not everyone will understand. But they agree that the government should um, withdraw the troop, for example. But not everyone understand and agree with what the West Papua experience right now. It's more than militarization. It's more than that. They want to have a dialogue on the referendum, for example. Um, so so many so many um, opinions, um, so many opinions around that seven demands. But there is one point that we are solid, and we agree from the conservative and liberal or even like a leftist that we reject that anti-corruption law that just passed by the government. So when we are talking about this alliance, was this something that they wrote internally? Did they, so Hong Kong, they use a website that's like Reddit and they will go through and all talk online about if they agree or disagree. How are the protesters organizing in Indonesia and how are they communicating about demands or where they want to protest or the methods that they want to use when they protest? We used to gather um, and, or have a meeting in Jakarta Legal Aid Office in Jakarta because all the representation of the student, uh, they used to uh set a press conference together with this human rights activist in jakarta legal aid office so i said i i think um how they uh, how they communicate or connect to each other it is through the jakarta legal aid office um we the, this this legal aid they have a branch in um, almost in across the country, from the, uh, Aceh to Papua. So that's how they connect. So this organization, this legal aids organization, is a very, very vital and important. They they play a very vital and important role in this 
um, in this uh, protest, including they assist the students to um, they assist students to um, to manage um, um, the rally and also to advocate that the last press conference that was held like yesterday, they advocate like 50 students who have been reportedly disappear. And it, it sounds um, from the arrest today that Twitter also is very important in the protests. Is that true? Yep, very important. Um, because um, Indonesian one, I think the biggest user in, in Southeast Asia, the, the biggest Twitter user in, in, in Southeast Asia is in Indonesia. Everyone is in Twitter. Twitter, not Facebook, yeah, everyone use Facebook, but not as everyone use Twitter. They, we also like a, have a very, uh, we have, we use uh, Instagram a lot, but Twitter has been a very most effective way to communicate with the people across the country. Mm -hmm. And for the government's response in, in, in within Indonesia, uh, you've said they fired tear gas. Is there a sense, what do you think is going to happen next now that these arrests have happened? The people you mentioned, um, for, for people who don't know, they're very popular. Um, the, I believe, I, you'll have to tell me which one, but I was reading from people, Indonesian journalists or social media personalities saying one of these people they should not have arrested, extremely popular, does a lot on social media, very connected to young people. So what are these arrests? Why would the government make these arrests? And, and what do you think is going to happen next? Or is it, who knows? It's hard, you can't say. Ananda Badudu decide to arrest and name him as a suspect because he's very young and then he's very popular among the youngster in Indonesia and he has been a very um, active in social media recently and everyone like he also like a famous and popular musician um, I think that the, the police wants to send a message to every single young Indonesian out there that um, everyone who against the government, you can be arrested. And it's, it's like a fear mongering for everyone. So it sends, it, 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 it makes us sense that um, we have to be careful in the future. We cannot be very open-minded and very active to fight for your rights in Indonesia. Like your senior, for example, Dandi Laksono. Dandi has been there. He's very like critical and active. And he has been uh, summoned by the police so many times. But this Ananda Badudu is a, a new case. And this is like a new level um threat for the young indonesian to speak on behalf of themselves so um in the future i think um this is actually not happened to indonesian but also more young west papuan get arrested uh by the police i think uh in the future that 
the in Indonesian government want to break down the young Indonesians who want to stand up for their rights, just like what happened in uh, Hong Kong right now with Joshua Wong, for example. I see like the same thing, even like Ananda Baduru, it's not like iconic like Joshua Wong. He's a very, very quiet person, actually, personally, he's very quiet, he never like talk about politics before this. And then he just like never like organized any any movement before. He just like open a donation because he is famous. So he's not like Joshua Wong, who is very like a very educated, like someone who understands about politics and knows the narrative and knows how to organize movement and organize the young Hong Kongers. But this person is ordinary, ordinary people like musician. He's very quiet in, in his daily life, never get involved with any movement before. He's just like very quiet. And then the police arrest him. So this is another level of threat for everyone. And it, it see, do you think the young people are going to keep going out in the streets until the government responds? Do you see it becoming like a, what do you think will happen or what, um, what do you foresee happening? And do you think old people, now that they've seen sort of before, you know, a lot of this violence um, maybe was happening far away in, in West Papua, but now we're starting to see tear gas in major cities, arrests, police violence. Do you think old people will start to support uh, the young or, or for the most part are old people still supporting Jokowi? Like a point where the young generation think that they should get involved in this movement because they can no longer uh, stay silent because even the ordinary like young Indonesian can get arrested. I think this will trigger them to be more active in the future and they realize that they need to learn about their rights and they need to learn about how the police work and they need to learn about how to protect themselves um, and and also like connect with the other um, um, movement um, in the country. Yeah, it, it was happened before in 1998 where a group of um, uh, women who happens to be uh, Ibu Ibu or the mother or the housewife took the street and then joined the rally. I think if the Jokowi administration is very ignorant with this case, that will be a time that this group of mothers in Indonesia take the street someday. Because um, usually that first it started with students and then the next the youngster like the high school student and then the mother will join so i think it's just a matter of time. sure well then just the the last question i have because um the worst thing you can do when you're talking to someone from a different country is assume you know what they want what was your reason for coming to talk with me today and then 
what what can people do? Uh, what would you like or what do you think would be helpful for people to do? Or it doesn't need to be help, but what can people who are interested, what do you think would be good if you're a Westerner so you're not getting arrested like the poor Polish guy who went? What would be, why did you come on our show and then how can people help? Should they help? What do you think the role, if you're a Westerner, interested in Indonesia and these protests or West Papua and the protests there, what should the role be for Westerners? So, um, first question, why I want to come up on this show? It is because at first I think that I don't want to go in public because I don't want any anyone like focus on me but I want everyone focus on West Papua issue in my college who were arrested and named as a, as a suspect. But then I think if I keep silence that I cannot, um, it's not enough just writing the story, but also to tell the story through podcasts like this will be, I hope that will be effective for the international audience to understand our situation right now. For example, me personally, I don't feel safe. I have to move to like this bus to to this past month. I have to move like every three days or every week. That everyone like worry about me. For example, that I will get arrested. But I just want to um share the same situation and environment that not actually actually not only people in Hong Kong and people in Kashmir who experience this, but people in Indonesia right now who is working on who are working on the West Papua issue and also West Papua and in the region like feel threatened by the what the Indonesian government have been done. Especially for journalists. We think that we have no guarantee to work safely everywhere right now. I don't know what what what, what will happen to me in the future. But I hope that by talking to international audience through a podcast or yesterday I talked in, in front of the televisions in Dutch Lille television in Germany and there will be more interview because I just want to uh, let everyone know it's stop being ignorant with what happened in West Papua right now. This is the time. Everyone have to get involved and international community have to get involved because we cannot do, I cannot do this by myself. Like when you got chased by the intelligent, for example, like me, we don't know what will happen. Even like when I sleep at night, I don't know, like if someone shot me in my bed, I will never imagine that it will happen to me. So um, I think like it's time to wake up. like. It's not like only focusing on Donald Trump. I know that Donald Trump is important. His impeachment is important. But there's there are so many stories like other side of the world. For example, in Kashmir, in Hong Kong, in West Papua, we need to like open our eyes. That's it. And I hope that it will be helpful for, for this podcast will help will be helpful um, for the international audience to understand that Indonesia is not only about Bali. Indonesia is also about West Papua. Well, I think that was a very powerful statement, Fabriana, so I'll leave it there. Um, we'll let you know when the podcast is up, and we'll continue to show 
solidarity uh, with Indonesia and West Papua as best we can. Thank you so much for your time today and uh, stay safe. And if you ever need help, we're happy to try.